Good afternoon. My name is Lynn, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to the Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies Beltway Briefing Series, The Road to the 2018 Midterm Elections. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. To submit live questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thank you very much, and thanks, everybody, for, for joining us. Um, we uh, got a couple of, uh, of changes to the lineup today, which I'm personally very excited about. Um, but... You know, when if and when Mark listens to that, he shouldn't take offense at what I what I said. My name is Blake Rutherford. I'm with uh, Cozen O'Connor, and I'm joined today by Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Caitlin Martin and Hope Shields, both of our public strategies group as well. Everybody, hey, welcome. Hi. Um, well, there, <laughs> you know, our as we on our last call, and as I noted in our follow up email, we missed. We were just a little bit too early for yet another uh, moment in the bromance between President Donald Trump and Kanye West. Um, I've watched the video more times than I reasonably should. Um, I think, Howard, as you mentioned right before this call began, real life was a lot funnier than anything Saturday Night Live could spoof. But nevertheless, Kanye um, came into the Oval Office. He was surrounded by reporters as well as the president's daughter, Ivanka, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Jim Brown. Jim Brown, legendary Jim Hall Brown. Hall of Fame running back. Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown was there. And um, I think perhaps at least on the record, the first time Mother Effer was used in the Oval Office um, but definitely not the first time ever. No, I'm saying on the record. I'm saying happily on the record in front of the president and the press. Um, so who knows what any of that means. Howard, I, another spectacle, another sideshow, another distraction. So right out of Trump's playbook. Yeah. I mean, I think, Blake, and right out of his playbook and right out of the 2016 playbook, too, yeah. because I think that was a move to impact voter turnout in November. And you know what? It worked last time, and it'll probably work this time on on some level. I mean, do we – I mean, certainly it occupied at least the 24-hour news cycle. I mean, people were very much focused on on that and not focused on some other big developments uh, in the country. Kaylin, to be fair to Kanye, which I think he's now going by yay. I think we've dropped the con. I, like I think it's just Yeezy, isn't it? Uh, well, Yeezy is the is the product line, and we've got he wants to launch some Yeezy sort of centers that help you. I, I think his combination was basketball and and maybe you do math while you're playing basketball. Uh, that was one idea that he had. Maybe we should debate that whether that's a good idea. I don't think much about math when I'm playing basketball. Blake, you know a lot about ye. I I do. Okay. I, I've been, I, I well, Who knows? But Caitlin too. He did come into the Oval Office with intending to 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 deliver some substance. Um, did, did we did we get any substance out of his out of his dare I call it a lecture? I'm not sure what it performance. We'll call it a performance. If you listened closely, there were some nuggets in there. Yes, I think that uh, criminal justice reform between him and his wife. I can't believe I'm on this call mentioning Kim Kardashian, but. You can't deny the fact that they've really shined a light and seen efforts with this administration with criminal justice reform with the release uh, earlier this year of the grandmother whose name is escaping me, but who was incarcerated for low-level drug crime for decades. And they have seen some, some they, they've opened up the dialogue with the administration. He, he made some interesting points about Chicago and, and bringing manufacturing back to the city, trying to find a way to really revitalize these inner cities and invest. He himself is spending a lot of time um, with his company, ensuring that he's providing opportunities in Chicago. 
So it was it was crazy. You know, it was it was the case and the hat and the tangent. Yeah. But there were some interesting points in there, and um, yeah, it was it was quite a, quite a meeting. Yeah, hope. I mean, the hat gives gives Kanye superpowers. Um, so he says. Um, time is a myth. That's another another declaration. Mm-hmm. And his iPhone password was zero 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 zero, which is coincidentally my iPhone password. Oh, oh now we all know. Now it. you all know it. Yeah. Everybody knows it. Well, actually, that last point was interesting because because this has taken over the news cycle for a hot second. You had there were a couple of people who were talking about online privacy, and you know, a zero 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 password is actually ninety percent effective. Really? Whereas no password is 0% effective. So at least he has something. Yeah. You know, well, now he should probably change it because everyone knows. One, 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 one. Well, rumor but. was later that day he was in the Apple store. Oh. Uh, he was mm. spotted in the Apple store. So. Yay? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Spotted in the Apple store. So, and, and, and not the only, uh, not the only uh, musician in the, in the White House that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kid Rock made, a, made an appearance <laughs> at the White House as well. Well, they were there to sign the Music Modernization Act. Yeah. 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 So, and that's, that has been completely forgotten in the scope of... A piece of legislation. Yeah, an interesting piece of legislation. Um, so, I also... What a world. Yeah. What a world we live in. All right, let's, let's get on to more substantive matters. Howard, we... This story that really has is both harrowing and and strange and ever evolving is um, is this story about the depending on if if the tapes now that the New York Times has that Turkey stands behind um, the murder of Washington Post journalist. Uh, Virginia resident uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Um, what do you? This is bizarre. What, yeah. What? Is, I mean, just sort of break down for me what we're what we're we're dealing with here, kind of factually, and then what's the political aspect to all? I wish this? I could break it down. It's bizarre. Um, this guy, you know, I don't know who he really is because for years he's being. He's being identified as a as a Washington Post journalist. He's contributed to the Washington Post forever and a day. He was a Saudi journalist, in, in air quotes, basically speaking for the the royal family. He was kind of an unofficial spokesman for the royal family. He was an an, an Islamist politically. Um, he traveled through Afghanistan with Osama bin Laden. Uh, who knows who this guy actually was? I think there's my strong sense is yeah. that we don't know. There's that there's a lot we don't know here. Um, yet, I mean the the uproar is significant and real. You've had companies, you know, bow out of conferences and people just kind of run away from it. Unclear what's happening. Uh, you know, in the White House, Pompeo's over there doing his his investigation. <laughs> Obviously, you don't send the Secretary of State to to do it to do a real investigation. I don't I don't know what the ramifications are politically. I don't think there is anything in terms of the the midterms. It's just more it's more bizarreness out there. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin, it's certainly I mean occupying a ton of time on on cable news. I mean. It's, seen consistent front page stories the Washington Post is committed to you know uh, it, endless coverage until until all the facts are, are known and and the truth comes out um, what um, in any any political movement here I mean, the president has as uh, you know Howard mentioned the Secretary of State went to Saudi Arabia uh, the president really hasn't indicated that he's going to Part with the opinion of of the Saudi government, even if Congress um, is willing to do so, and it appears that they are. I mean, bipartisan Democrats and Republicans right. have very harsh things to say about the Saudi government. Um, it, it, political ramifications at this point are too early to tell. I don't think it looks great that it, that he is appearing to say that from the Saudi government. He being the president, President Trump, and 
make excuses and kind of reiterate their talking points. At the end of the day, this is an American citizen. This is or um, this is a Washington Post journalist. We as a nation do not stand for the murder of journalists in any part of the world, and this is a real a real concern. Um, I was glad to see Senator Lindsey Graham and several others uh, in the Republican Party come out and um, stand pretty firmly on the fact that if the Saudi government played a role in this, and yes, there's probably a lot more that we still haven't learned, um, but we should we should be trying to get to the bottom of this, and, and we as a country don't do not stand for this type of behavior. So he could he could be a little President Trump could be a little firmer on that. Yeah, well, hope. I mean, there's some. A lot it's a it's risky for the president to, you know, to to appear. Um, and this is where we get back back to the sort of the nature of his business interests and what's he putting at the forefront. The, you know the interest of the country to to Caitlin's uh, you know well articulated point or the interest of you know his own finances. I mean he's on the record saying that he he loves Saudi Arabia because they buy fifty million dollar apartments from him. There are business records that that confirm that that they they've transacted they've done real estate transactions in terms of buy sell of real estate in New York. That's what we know. There's a ton we don't know, obviously, because the the president hasn't released his tax returns, so so we're not entirely sure what's what. Um, what do you make of what do you make of of the the coverage of this event? Do you sense that this this creates a, any kind of a dilemma for for the president, either for the midterms or or the long term? I don't think so. For I mean, I think from like a moral standpoint and a free press standpoint and a rule of law standpoint, it's something that is really important that he readjusts some of his stances on it. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely think, you know, looking into the midterms and looking at voters and looking at what they care about, according to polling stuff, um, it's interesting to see that this issue and this story is so complicated and it's hard to communicate even though it's on all of these mainstream news sources. And what I see is I see it feeding into this this very present anti-Muslim sentiment that's in a lot of that was part of what he wrote into the presidency. So I no matter what he does, I think it still supports the people who voted him and the people who voted for him in 2016. I think the the most significant thing about this politically may be yeah. the fact that it's something to talk about other than politics, right. which probably helps the Republicans. And Blake, I see a look. We're, we're in Washington, and it's hard. We certainly didn't read the tea leaves across the country in 2016 correctly. Um, Nonetheless, it feels to me like there isn't quite the drama and and fervor around um, there, there isn't quite the energy around negative energy toward Trump that there was a couple of months back. I think I said the same thing last week. And stories like this that take people's attention and kind of bottle it up over here uh, to me add to that. Yeah, like something else to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you you know, and I, I think to to sort of supplement your point, I mean, the president goes on 60 Minutes and it's a ratings bomb. I mean, it, you know, you, for all the energy that we'll talk about, cause we're starting early voting has started in some places and can begin next week in other places. Um, when I want to talk, I'm going to talk about kind of what we're seeing from from those numbers and what it means, but. Uh, set aside that I don't think there's voting fatigue. I think there is there is political fatigue. I do think people are exhausted. I think mm-hmm. that that um, that they're ready to just let's call the, as Mark likes to say, let's just call the vote. <laughs> let's we're we're here. It's now. Let's get this thing done with so that so that you know we can we can have a sense of what what the the balance of political power is going to look like. In Washington, I was very surprised that, that Leslie Stahl's interview with with the president that so few people tuned in. Um, but be that as it may, 
Melania's um, interview did last week did pretty well, though, as far as ratings. I think she might have gotten higher ratings than he did. Yeah, well, I mean, Stormy Daniels got higher ratings <laughs> than he did. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, you know, that... Um, you mean horse face? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean... The latest controversy? Horse face versus tiny. I mean, where are we? What is, what's going on in the country? Um, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe soon enough, you know, Michael Avenatti will just fade away and we can we can move on from from his own you know opportunism um speaking of 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 that of trying to turn one situation into uh, an opportunity elizabeth warren senator from massachusetts something perhaps the front runner for the democratic party's uh, nomination in 2020 um finally sort of came out and address the president's been calling her Pocahontas for forever. Uh, forever. Um, and as he likes to nickname everybody, um, uh, according to folks in the White House, Pocahontas is one of his favorites. Um, and so, in an effort to uh, to I think try and get past this, which is is the tension around um, around. Um, whether or not it was appropriate for her to 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 claim, you know, any Native American lineage heritage, however we want to we want to talk about that, she took a DNA test um, and then released a video talking about her Oklahoma roots and everything else. Um, seemed to Howard be a be a good start, but really lost control of that story about an hour later. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it, it, I think what it says to people is she's concerned about it. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's an issue that follows her all the way to to the to the end, but anyway, I don't think my personal view is she isn't going to be the Democratic Party's nominee for for president. She just she doesn't represent enough of um the electorate to actually carry this thing, but you know what? She obviously thinks differently. Yeah, I mean, Kayla, what do you make of what do you make of Warren's Warren's play here to sort of deal with this ancestry issue head on? I mean, I, I think I think that it signals, you know, to me that one, she's worried about it. I think that's right. Um, you know, that was I, it was one of the things that proves very effective. For the president. I mean, these nicknames, crass as as they may be, let's be honest, crooked Hillary worked, and so I think I think you know to try and deal with it, try and get past the 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 honesty question and the character question, and you know, is something you you can you can understand um, politically. Was this the way to do it? And why do it why 20, now? 22 days right. before why the now? I think this is an example of the Democratic Party not being able to stay focused. I think for the first time I could say I uh, really agree with Jim Messina, um, Obama's former campaign manager, who came out and, and said, you know, why, are we, why is she doing this now? We're 22 days until the election. The Democratic Party is a little bit of a fragmented mess. Is this really what we want to be focusing on? Or are we trying to energize voters to get out and vote? on November 6th. I think um, it was a little bit of a comedic situation, to be honest, but I don't think it helps the Democratic Party, and it just dilutes their messaging, which they don't seem to have much of heading into. Oh, now that's not right. Elizabeth Warren is great in (laughs) swinging the vote in Democratic primaries, and maybe that's why she'll be ascended in the Democratic primary for president of the United States. I don't think she will, but maybe. But we're in general election mode now. You've got 75, 80, 90, whatever the number is, races that could go either way, theoretically, in the House. Like, why? Why make yourself the center of of attention? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, what's the flip side to to that, I mean, if you're if you're the Warren camp, there was it, interestingly enough on the same day that she released the result of her DNA test and, and this video talking about her Oklahoma roots, um, there's front page during the Washington Post about how basically she's running a shadow national campaign to boost Democrats all across the country 
in down ticket races, um, trying to, you know, the obvious, you know, sort of spin is we're, I'm trying to help the Democratic Party build a bench. We know the reality is, of course, that she's building up IOUs that she can turn around and use in a presidential primary. It, that being said, strategy here, I mean, is there a method to, I'm not going to call it necessarily madness, but I do think it's, it is bizarre to do it 22 days before a primary. Give me the flip side of this. Why was this a good idea? Well, so that would be me playing devil's advocate a little bit because I also agree. This is, I mean, let's wait 30 days. How's that? Um, but yeah, no, right now does not seem like the right time. But I guess the flip side of that is she has been campaigning all over the place trying to get those lower ticket turnout. Um, and there have been rumblings not just about Warren, about 2020. You know, and people who are not currently in office, like Joe Biden, have been coming more and more to the stage. And I think one of the thoughts there is that if you come too late to the party, you might not get a seat at the table, Um, which this is definitely, I still think it's too early. But (laughs) um, I do think that there is some concern that if she doesn't address these things earlier rather than later, that she won't have that seat at the debate or at the table, but I, I'm not sure that's totally true, which is why I also think I, it's too early. I, I was similarly struck by a Nancy Pelosi interview talking about what the agenda would be for the next Democratic-controlled House. Um, <laughs> although she said she hasn't asked anybody to vote for her for speaker and wasn't talking about her speakership. She, but here's exactly what we're going to do. Right, right. She was defining the agenda for the next Congress. Why? You're a lightning rod. Why? Like, don't start counting your votes before people have voted. It's it's foolish. Yeah. I I want to come back and talk about talk about that agenda well, a little I do. bit. So one other point, though, that yeah. I think is really important about this Elizabeth Warren DNA thing is that we're in, as I, I think as a country, we're kind of struggling with identity a lot and like our many varied personal identities and our very many varied different opinions in a political context that is so polarized and in a context where everyone individually is so varied and there's not necessarily... It's hard to figure out what represents you, and I think this is an interesting contribution to an ongoing discussion about what identity means in such an awesomely diverse country. Sure, and I mean, and, and again, there's a, there's there's a great piece on the inter, in the Intercept which gets into these, this notion of you know yeah Warren may have you know whipped politically Ross Dowd of the New York Times says now Warren has joined Avenatti in the losers gallery and for no good reason. Uh, but it does it does hope to your point we won't get too into the weeds on her in this call, but this notion of diversity in higher education, of self identification, how we how do we people are self identifying in, in all sorts of ways now. How do we choose um, you know those how do we choose to label ourselves and then what is the impact? Especially What's the impact, you know, in higher education, where, where they're, and 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 I think too, in in a corporate culture where diversity is absolutely paramount. I mean, we we certainly know that, you know, where we work. So it's a it's a that's a fascinating, I think, intellectual and social discussion. And I'm glad you glad you brought it up. Let's pivot. Let's pivot to these to the midterms because we have we have I don't know how many days 20, 20 days we have twenty how many days Caitlin nineteen some odd days till till we finally get to call the vote. Um, but early voting has started in some states. It will pick up in other states next week. And by all accounts, I mean, turnout is through the roof. It's far outpacing um, what we saw in, even in 2016, a presidential year. Um, Howard, what do you think about kind of is this – you think people are just ready to vote and be done with it? I've cast my vote. I can move on to something else. Or are we Are we seeing – an electorate that is more, in fact, engaged even than 2016, which seems hard to believe, but what do you think? Depends who's running in your district and yeah. your state. and Like in, in Maryland, there's no controversy 
um, about at least at the top of the ticket, Hogan's going to be reelected governor, yeah. a Republican in a blue state. Ben Cardin's going to win the Senate race. Um, sure, there are important races down ballot that actually, um, you know, could go in different directions. But, you know, that's a lot different than if you're voting in Indiana or yep. Nevada um, or Georgia or Florida. It's just it depends where you are, I think, how energized the, the electorate is. But there is no question that Trump and the Republicans and Pelosi and the Democrat, that, that they're playing a turnout game at this point. I think in the run-up, as I was saying earlier, in the run-up to the 2016 election, I think history, what history will reflect on, on, on that period is that Trump did an unbelievable job of dampening Democratic voter turnout among key con- Democratic constituencies in the run-up to the vote in November 2016. And I think they're running the same play again. I mean, look, at he's talking about separating children and parents again at the border. He's talking about arresting people that immigrate from certain countries, about cutting foreign aid to Honduras and El Salvador and Nicaragua, I think it was, based on um, people coming across the border. He, like, that's a turnout battle. Yep. He is trying to impact Republican turnout in in that case to get people fired up over immigration. So that's what's going on right now, Blake, I think everywhere you look, but how many people turn out depends who's, who's on the ticket. Yeah. I mean, Caitlin, what do you think? I mean, do you sense that because I'm looking at, at a lot of new polls, which are not great for the Democrats. Um, People talk to some friends out in Minnesota where, you know, you're looking at districts that, Closer they need to be on the Republican side, and I, and you know, folks seem to think this is a reaction to Kavanaugh. Um, there's a there's an op-ed in the Washington Post today that says voters are going to punish Democrats for their treatment of Kavanaugh. What do you what do you sense? I mean, are, are these are these the lingering effects of Kavanaugh? Does this or did did I miss something? And 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 did something else change that? Say for example, now has Marsha Blackburn up 14 points over Bill Bredesen. It's a New York Times poll, right? I'm not, I'm not quoting Rasmussen to you. So, you know, what, what's going on out there? I mean, look, 5:38 had a um, on September 30th, they had a 68% chance of Republicans holding the Senate. Uh, we are what a little over a month and a half beyond that, and now they're giving Republicans an 81% chance. Look, let's take a look at what's happened from September 30th till today. I really do think that the Democrats overplayed their hand with the whole Kavanaugh ordeal. I think that that hurts them. I think that there are a lot of folks that are energized and are frustrated and realize that if if Democrats take back control of Congress, we're gonna we're gonna see more dysfunction, not less, in terms of years of investigations, potential impeachment proceedings. And I think that, I've said on this call before, there are a lot of um, establishment Republicans who are kind of coming home to the party a little bit. We still don't love, I consider myself one of them, we still don't love everything the president does. I cringe at almost every tweet. However, I'm looking at the economy. I'm looking at the lowest unemployment number since, you know, the the early 70s. I'm, I'm looking at, at the, the data and the economy and the results and feeling like, you know, I want to make sure that my vote, I get out and vote, and Donald Trump is not on the ballot, and I'm not a vote for a Republican candidate doesn't have to be a vote for Donald Trump. You know, Harold, let me come back to you because I just want to throw some numbers at you that mm-hmm. that that this whole thing is is vexing me a little bit. So you can you, you're you're going to explain it to me. Trump's job approval rating, he's he's underwater seven points, so disapproved 51, approved 44. Direction of the country, right track 43, wrong track 51. So Minus eight. Um, Another job approval, Trump minus 10. Generic congressional vote, Democrats plus 11. But go down the list of toss-up races. Tennessee Senate, Blackburn plus 14. Texas Senate, Cruz plus eight. Um, Donna Shalala's losing in a congressional district in in Miami. Um, Heller plus two. 
um, you know, McSally plus six in Arizona. Um, you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's. And again, I know that politics is local, but there generally is some correlation with the you know the attitude to the president and the way the way people vote. But none of these swing swing Democrat swing Senate races are breaking for the Democrats right now, save for really Joe Manchin, who seems to be in a pretty good spot. He voted um, for Kavanaugh. Yeah, he voted for Kavanaugh. Um, good and, point, Kayla. And then, um, but then you've got you've got all these you know these other races where it just is. I mean, Beto O'Rourke raises thirty eight million dollars in the third quarter, and that race may be out of reach. Um, what 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 in the world's going on? I get some finance numbers. I want to throw at you in a minute. Yeah, there's all. I mean, the money disparity yeah. is enormous. It's enormous. Um, what's going on? You know, I think if, number one, it is the economy, and people are feeling pretty good. People have jobs. Um, wages are even creeping up a little bit. Uh, I think people, you know, people vote their wallets, and people's wallets are, are relatively good. The economy is robust, even if even if Trump doesn't, you know, can't take. Full credit for it. He is taking full credit, even if he doesn't deserve full credit for it. He's taking full credit for it, which is the prerogative of any president in a robust economic cycle. Um, so he's the beneficiary. The Republicans are the beneficiaries. I think is a better way to put it, of of a, a strong, fundamentally strong economy. And I think that that has a lot to do with with why these races are tighter. And then, as we always say, candidates matter. And then I think, I think, you know, you you've really got to to look at the polling in terms of um, who's being polled. Is it registered voters? Is it likely voters? Yeah. Because I know I, I've been following the these New York New York Times has these live polling yeah, um, yeah. things that are out there, and they have targets of how many responses they want from each demo, each slice of the electorate and it's just it was kind of stunning to me to see to see these numbers so for example 18 to 29 year olds they think a good poll this is for the um i think it's the Nevada Senate race I'm looking at right now no, it's Arizona they want to get an 8% response rate um from 18 to 29 year olds to make it good data. Mm-hmm. Well, those are obviously more likely to be democratic voters. They're certainly more anti-Trump. So, it's not like it's news that younger voters vote less. Right. But it's just I don't know, you see 8%. Like, okay, that explains why notwithstanding all this energy, negative energy directed to Trump, you know, it, it maybe that doesn't show up in a, in the vote as much as as you might think it it would. On the flip side, you know they're they're looking for 53% response among women as compared to 47% for men. That obviously favors um, at least an anti-Trump crowd. Um, they're looking for 39% response among 65 and older. So. I don't know. It's just it's interesting the way you can you can slice and dice these things, and it, I think it the um, decisions the winners in November are going to be determined in 20 days are going to be determined by the turn the relative turnout among these different slices of the electorate. Yeah, and based on who the candidates are, how the economy is locally, and a whole bunch of other factors. Yeah, I mean we've seen we've seen the trouble with polling, you know, uh, so far this year. We certainly saw the trouble with polling and in 2016. Hope it, it, some more data for you. In the third quarter, 92 Republican incumbents were outraised by their challenger. 50 were outraised two to one. 31 were outraised three to one. Compare that to 56. Republican incumbents were outraised by their challenger in quarter two. So, you know, a 40% uptick in in money favoring the Democrats. What do you? I mean, the money the money race 
we've always equated money to enthusiasm to, you know, potentially to to result unless I'll put an asterisk unless somebody's a self funder. Um, but what do you make of the what do you make of the money? Is I mean, do we money versus polls because they're not a lot of correlation here. Well, I mean, neither of them are perfect proxies for who's actually going to show up and where they're actually going to vote. And if you grew up in New York State, you learned looking at New York City mayor's races that money doesn't always equal wins. Um, so it is interesting, though, because um, campaign donations might be a good proxy for enthusiasm about a candidate who is not necessarily in your district. And I think a lot of the country outside of Texas, and inside of Texas, but outside of Texas, is very excited about O'Rourke. Yeah. Um, so we, I think that's probably more of what that's a proxy for than people in Texas, um, which I don't think is irrelevant, because especially as we look forward to, you know, policy is a long-term game, and so knowing that Bitter O'Rourke can raise that much money is still a powerful indicator for further along, mm-hmm. but I, I don't see a huge disparity there. I think they're just reflective of different groups of people. Yeah. It hurts, by the way, that, sorry, Blake, no. that his opponent is Lion Ted, who is loathed <laughs> on both sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. so that doesn't hurt. Yeah, I... I, I it, the, the matchup was certainly there, but I'm, I'm not sure that, that, that Texas is there um, just yet, Caitlin. But I, I do want to. I mean, we've certainly seen money, outside money, flow in. We saw that with you know special election in Georgia, you know, for a guy who didn't even live in the district. Um, there was a debate last night in Texas. Um, so you know, I'm I'm keenly interested in that race. But we do have we do have. I've, I highlighted the the races that don't look great for the Democrats, but there are a couple where I mean Heller's up to Nelson and um, Heller in Indiana. Nelson and Scott are tied in Florida. McCaskill <laughs> and Hawley are tied in Missouri, um, and Manchin, you know, is up outside the margin. Um, so I mean, you know, this could potentially all break. The Republicans' way, which would be an epic disaster for the Democrats, um, but it could conceivably go the other way as well. Not all of them, because Height Camp appears to to be to be done. That race seems to be over. Um, and as I said, barring something significant, I don't know if last night's debate was enough. Beto's getting huge crowds, um, so in the event the polling's off, maybe that that shifts the dynamic and. In Texas, I don't know. Um, I know I've said this before, Blake, yeah. but Texas isn't as red as people make it out to be. It's right. red. Yeah. But Trump won Texas by uh, less than Romney won, won right. Texas, uh, significantly less, I think 9% as opposed to 16%. The Republicans, both of them, both Romney and Trump, underperformed the polls um, on on Election Day. So... I mean, look, it looks like the polling says it's going to cruise, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I again, I think you, you go back to, you know, is, is polling capturing, you know, to your point earlier, Howard, what yeah. those percentages, is it is it able to capture the right number? Does, does, is Kavanaugh a huge motivator where, you know, the polls are undersampling? I mean, that was certainly the problem with Trump 2016. They didn't, they didn't catch that they were undersampling, and people weren't admitting that they were going to support and vote for Trump. Sure. Oh, yeah, and and that's a you know that's a that's that's a real thing too. Um, you know, I. <clears throat> and the other thing is no, the other thing is the margin matters here. Okay, yeah. on the House side, let's assume for the sake of argument that the Republicans keep the Senate. It doesn't matter if it's by a vote or six votes, um, or or tied, frankly. Yeah. If the Republicans, let's just say the Republicans keep the Senate, that the uh, margin matters in the House. You know, their two or three votes is a lot different than 17 votes or 20 votes or whatever it is. Um, well, in seats, I yeah, should I mean, say. Yeah, I your point earlier, I mean, strangely, bizarrely, nonsensically, Nancy Pelosi comes out and 
lays out what the Democratic agenda is going to be if they take the House as though as though it's a foregone conclusion. And why in the world do you show that hand three weeks before an election? She's she's really playing into every Republican ad that they're running, district by district across this country. If you if you examine some of these ads, they're all running against Nancy Pelosi and still Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Clinton. And if we've we've utilized this tactic before and it's worked. And I'm really interested to see, I I don't think her coming out and and making these statements now really it, it plays into the Republicans' hands. I don't. She, I guess like the Warren thing, she could have waited a couple of weeks. Maybe she's trying to nationalize the race because running against Trump is really their number one strategy. Yeah. Trump and healthcare, and maybe by bringing it back to kind of the national agenda as opposed to a local agenda, that helps the Democrats? I don't know. Hope, what do you think about that? I- well, I think the one other point when you're in your own district voting for who, whichever congressperson, yes, all politics are local and the people matter, but also a vote, you're also voting for a party that may or may not take majority control. And so, I mean, Caitlin was just talking about how Democrats in control of the House means a lot of chaos, but it also means like a little bit of a return to the rule of law. And so talking about, hey, a vote blue is a vote for actual ability to set an agenda, I mean, that is actually pretty motivating in a lot of ways. Even if she is polarizing, the idea that there's someone else being able to set the agenda that what currently is going on at least seems pretty motivated. And I wonder, yeah. I wonder too, if, and, and again, you know, it's, it's back to sort of Rumsfeld's The Unknown Unknowns, I wonder, too, if this notion that all the Democrats, if there was something percolating out in maybe some of these swing districts, but the only thing the Democrats are going to do is investigate events investigate, Impeach, tie up the government, do all this stuff, and maybe she had to throw an agenda out there that was, this isn't just about us getting this and being punitive towards the Republicans. We do actually have an agenda, whether she phrased it right, whether whether she was the right messenger for it, so on and so forth, can, can certainly be debated because you're right, she's polarizing. I do think, too, the the other thing is, um, you know, she she raises so much money for Democrats, and she, you know, essentially commands the I mean, the largest caucus, the California caucus um, in Congress. Um, I wondered too if if it was also sort of a just a reminder to her challengers to the extent they exist. You know, right. I'm, I'm taking this. Like, like I, I've got this. Right. You know, like I, I got this. So let's just let's just quit with all this. I know everybody's saying they're not going to vote for me and everything else, but I got the votes and let's be done. Right. I'm not I'm not walking away from this fight. Whether that's smart for the Democrats, Mark Mark has, has argued before that 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 she should hand the ball off to to someone else. Um, I doesn't seem like that's going to happen at all. No way. Um, well, the other thing that she did was define the oversight agenda, mm-hmm. which is, and and said she's going to keep a fairly tight leash on right on on the oversight, i.e., impeachment. You know the the issues along those lines, which is you know maybe that's I don't know she's playing the turnout game with that. It's well, you know, it's it's possible. You know, the news today that that. Mueller is is going to be prepared to to issue his findings after the midterms, um, which um, I think will give us some some sense and indication of as well what the what the Democrats, assuming they take the House, will feel sort of politically compelled to investigate, um, and then what they won't feel politically compelled to investigate, depending on depending on what his findings. Um, indicate how they're presented, whether they're, you know, whether the public gets a gets a real sense of what those are, or if we're gonna have to wait all the way till January before before uh, that happens. You know, who knows? I mean, I, I think that that whole issue is 
is fascinating in and of itself, even if it's not a not a voting issue. Um, the, the sort of last thing I want to I do want to talk a little bit about um, is um, what is it that that I had on my list for us for us to talk about? What is the what have I missed, Howard? You talked a little bit about um, about the economy earlier and the strength of the economy. We've got we've got that as an ongoing issue. We do have, and it seems to me like we're now hope back to a point you made earlier. What all this means in the context of 2020? I know everybody just wants to talk about the midterms, but we also know that the day after the election, people are running people are running for president, whether they formally do anything about it, but we've now got Cory Booker in Iowa. Um, we've got Elizabeth Warren dealing with with her ancestry and building out her national apparatus. We got Kamala Harris putting together a 2020 game plan. That's three. Well, um, and you've Steve Bullock's had a the governor of Montana has had a leadership pack for a while and has been go- quietly going around the country. Not somebody that is at the is in that first tier, but who has a compelling story to tell if he can find any traction at all um, could could be interesting. That's four. Uh, and we I had another one for you. Yeah. Donald Trump taking on the Federal Reserve. Yeah, right. <laughs> saying that they're his greatest enemy or whatever it is, headwind, whatever, whatever he said. Um, that's totally a 2020 agenda-setting kind of issue. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think something we ought – to come back to both Howard in light of your life experience, but also in terms of what, as an institution, what does that kind of criticism mean? People believe Trump when he says things. A lot of people don't understand what the Fed does, how it played a huge role, I think, in saving the world, and um, but that is far removed. If Trump starts attacking that institution in a real way, in a campaign way, forcing the Democrats to have to defend it. What does that what does that look like? We don't we certainly ought to come back to that as a yeah. big big twenty twenty issue. I mean, I mean to be fair though, he, he has criticized the Fed a ton in the past, which is interesting because it's supposed to be an apolitical place. But Janet Yellen was a big thing in twenty sixteen that he loved to talk about her. So it's not this isn't out of the blue. This is definitely within the playbook, but it's interesting when it's your own poor Jerome. Yeah. That's my thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and again I, I don't know what he was getting into though. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm I'm pretty certain Trump has has you know, no idea what the what the Fed actually does, but but it's uh it that doesn't matter in the context. That he actually might believe. <laughs> you think he might? Given how much money he he's borrowed over the course well, yeah, of his life. Entirely he, he might actually yeah. know what yeah. know what's up with that. But um, um look, it's it's a dangerous that it's a dangerous game, I think. You're right, people believe him, they don't really know what, what it means. There's a lot of anger on the Republican side of the aisle um, toward the toward the Fed. I think, uh, you know, Donald Trump got elected because of he was able to tap into that to that anger. That's that's my view that that what we did in 08, 09, you know, I've said it before many times on this call that it ran. You can draw a straight line between that and the election yeah. of, of Donald Trump. Um, you know, it's it's dangerous, but I think the question that I think the question for this period for the country is how much of this stuff sticks. Yeah. So how much of it is just about Trump as a as a personality, and how much of this how much of this lasts? Like, what does the next man or woman do? Does the next man or woman like? And and you know what? I think some of the people that are being um, lauded on the left, like Bernie and like Elizabeth Warren, who I dealt with when she was the head of the Congressional Oversight Panel overseeing what we were doing at Treasury, overseeing the TARP. You know what? There are some similarities, and similarities in drawing attention to yourself. Look, Elizabeth Warren is she's a Harvard Law professor, or she was, She's obviously a smart person, um, and she is 
Um, you know, she has she has stuff to contribute to the dialogue, but Liz is about Liz. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. I mean, we saw it time and time again when I was there. Both administrations, as you know, I transitioned to the Obama administration, and the Obama folks came in and said, "We're gonna we're gonna find a way to work with her." Like we know these Republicans over here, they couldn't work with with Elizabeth Warren, but it's a new day, and we're gonna find a way to work with her. Well, guess how long that lasted? About seventy-two hours, if that. Mm. Literally, she's about herself. She is very good at drawing attention to herself and attracting attention to herself and saying things that are out of touch with reality, as is Bernie Sanders. They're more Trumpian than, than people think they are. And, and so the question that I'm wondering is how much of the, you know, whether it's attacking the Fed or attacking other kind of core institutions of society, how much of this sticks around and, and survives Trump? That'll, that'll define um, where the country's headed and government government is headed. Right. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I think that's that's a it's <laughs> the the lasting effect of this is is something to to I think we're pondering in in more ways than one to add two more names. I think we're we're up to six now. Michael Bloomberg mm-hmm. changing his voter registration from R to D and Julian Castro, the former mayor of San Antonio and Secretary of Housing and Urban Development says he is inclined to run for president as well. That would did he say run for vice president or president? Uh, I think I think Howard, this is this is just look. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to make speeches. I'm going to you know I'm going to I'm going to let it be known that 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 I'm up to I'm up to the task of uh, of, of being anyone's running mate that'll that'll have me. Um, but he does have a he does have a book out if you're if you're interested in in reading it. Um, but uh, so we're we're up to we're up to six that I think have have already said that have already indicated in one way or another that that they're in this thing it is going to climb into double digits no doubt. Um, if you're if anyone listening to the call is interested in my candidate, just go to draftmarkalderman.com. Uh, <laughs> please feel free to give money. Like Michael Avenatti, it doesn't actually go to Mark; it comes right to me. <laughs> but and but nevertheless, um, you know that's. That's also part of our new normal. Man, I want that guy to go away. Uh, okay, so so with that final editorial comment, I think we have reached we have reached the end of this call. Hope, thanks for joining us again. I'm sorry I wasn't here uh, the last time you were on the call. We certainly uh, open invitation. Join us anytime, Caitlin, Howard. Um, if we if we missed anything, we're going to be back. When? Next Thursday, October 25th at noon for our next call. October 25th, right before Halloween. You can tell us what you're what you're going to be for Halloween, Caitlin, and we'll uh, we'll look we'll look forward to talking about that. Above all else, thanks I'm, to everybody for listening. What do you got? You got something to? I was going to say I'm going to be a I'm going to be a dad chasing my kids through the neighborhood trying to keep up with them good, for Halloween. That's, good. that's I, my plan. That's 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 a that's a great plan. I, I have no. No Halloween plans, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Uh, to everyone who has joined us today, thank you for listening. Comments, uh, questions, criticisms, the moderator are always welcome. Uh, presidential analysis at Cozen.com or vi- visit us at copublicstrategies.com. Uh, thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Blake. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line. Thank you and have a good day.